3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the lands from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, you're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. It is the 16th of May today and I'm here in the studio with Kate and Carly. Morning, Hi. Kate. Morning. Morning. Kate will be jumping on, um, Carly will be jumping on the mics a bit later because we have a really great show lined up today. First up, in just a moment, we're going to be hearing some headlines with Kate, um, which is our new segment. I think we're into our third week at the moment, but we're super stoked. <laughs> And then after that, we're going to be hearing an interview that I did up in Sydney a week and a half ago with Niviak Corneliuson, who's a really amazing young queer Greenlandic writer who came to Sydney for the Sydney Writers' Festival. And I had a chat with her about, about her first book, um, Crimson, which is about I guess, being young and queer in Greenland, and also about her decision to write only female Indigenous characters, about high rates of suicide in her community and about the importance of yeah, speaking up about issues that are affecting her and also what it's like to be pigeonholed as sort of the this one and only up-and-coming young queer Greenlander rising star. So stay tuned, we'll have that interview for you in about 10 minutes or so. Then later on we will be chatting with Sievesh, um, who is from the Youth Affairs Network Queensland. And we're going to be chatting, I don't know if you saw the Four Corners report this week, but we're going to be talking about all the young people being locked up in Queensland police watch houses and also the Queensland government's pitch to build a new 32-bed youth prison. So that will be around quarter to eight. Then later on, we're going to be having Babak and Thomas in the studio, who are co-editors of Un Magazine, um, which is a local NAM-based uh, art magazine. And their upcoming issue, 13.1, is coming out, is launching this Friday. So we're going to be talking with them about that and all the amazing artists and writers, writers that they're showcasing. And then lastly in the show, we'll be talking with the amazing creatrix Tiara, who's a writer, performance artist, producer and activist, about Idle Hobbit, which is the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Intersexism and Transphobia. I always struggle with the acronym. I'm like, where does that O come from? Um, but we'll be chatting with creatrix about Idle Hobbit and about the importance of both you know, uplifting all the amazing things the queer community are doing and also challenging some of the dominant discourses and making space for other ways of being queer and trans. But first up, Kate, shall we, after a few announcements maybe, we'll jump into some headlines. All right, yeah. We appreciate, like, you mob and all the people coming and visit us and doing stuff like this, you know. It's very good. It keeps a positive mindset in our mind, you know, and we really appreciate it. Because of her we can, yeah. I wanna be a better, better man, yeah. Because of her we can. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates across Victoria. You can listen to audio from this year and previous years online anytime. How do you rehabilitate someone? They just put you in a cell and tell you this is how long you're gonna do and it's meant to rehabilitate you, you know? Rehabilitation starts when you get out. 
That's when your life begins again, doesn't it? Any yeah. your life's on hold. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Or if you'd like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 when I first come to the Australia, was about 10 years ago, and I was a young one. A whole heap of young ones come off the truck there the other day, and they called me Auntie Marlene, so it helped me recognise and realise it, like, pulled myself up like, yeah. They're starting to look up to me, so I've got to represent and do the right thing now. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Like an ancestor, you'll know way back when. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. CR are selling kefir, Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 8.55am on your dial. It's the 16th of May and it's almost 10 past 7. And now we're going to jump into some headlines with Kate Kelly. Yesterday, Alabama's Republican-controlled Senate passed a bill to outlaw abortion, making it a crime to to perform the procedure at any stage of pregnancy. The abortion ban, which is now the strictest in America, allows an abortion only when the woman's health is at serious risk. The measure contains no exception for rape and incest after lawmakers voted down an amendment that would have added such exceptions. It passed by a vote of 25 to 6 and criminalizes the procedure for doctors who could be charged with felonies and face up to 99 years in prison. It is designed to be challenged, though, because if it is challenged, it sets up a legal battle that supporters hope will lead to the Supreme Court overturning its landmark ruling that legalised abortion nationwide, otherwise known as Roe v. Wade. Now to China, where the trade war continues. Chinese President Xi Jinping has urged countries not to close their doors and hide behind them in his first major public speech since U.S. President Donald Trump raised tariffs on 200 billion of Chinese goods amid the escalating trade war. Opening the conference on Asian Civilizations Dialogues in Beijing on Wednesday, Xi said there was no need for civilizations to clash with each other. China retaliated to Trump's latest round of increases on Monday, raising tariffs on roughly $60 billion of U.S. exports. 
There are still hopes for a deal to end the year-long trade war, with the U.S. trade delegation expected to head to Beijing in the coming weeks. And last night, Labor leader Bill Shorten said that if elected, his government would review the case of a Tamil family who are facing imminent deportation from Australia. Speaking on the project, Mr Shorten urged the government not to deport the family who were living in the Queensland town of Bioela before they were detained. Nadas, Priya and their two daughters have been in immigration detention since March last year and had launched a case to avoid deportation back to Sri Lanka where they claim they'll face prosecution. On Tuesday, the High Court denied their final bid to stay in the country. The couple came to Australia separately by boat in 2012 and 2013 following Sri Lanka's civil war, but they've been in detention in Melbourne since March 2018 after their bridging visas expired. The tight-knit town has been holding regular protests for their former neighbours around the country, and supporters of the, travel- of the family are travelling to Immigration Minister David Coleman's Sydney electorate of banks to ask him to intervene in the case and keep them in Australia before Saturday's election. Thanks. Thank you so much, Kate. You're welcome. I wasn't on the mic. Thank you so much, Kate. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> no, we really... Yeah, appreciate having it's more of a current affairs focus on a current affairs show. Yeah, <laughs> glad I can bring it. <laughs> uh, up next, where I'm going to play um, uh, "Ancestors" by Dreaming Now for you because it features Kian, who's actually playing tonight at the at Noisy Ritual in Brunswick. So do yeah, get along, check it out if you can. This is Dreaming Now "Ancestors" featuring Kian. <laughs> Now replace the straight names, unique reason, smiles, lines, space, 
comfortable and smitten roads and avenues, central business districts, spiritual latitude, laws of metaphysics overtaken by the laws of these long lost mystics, preceded the present new type of linguistics causing nations conflicted seemingly cryptic for confusion running ramp up on deeply intrinsic devastation hitting sabotage to the ancient rocks, vaporized out of sight, on a soon to be Broken down plot, omens I can peer, seeping into sight, time to awaken, pay respect. The ancestors in the land of miss every child, woman, a man, no matter where you stand. The ancestors in the land, so why I pay respect. The ancestors in the land of miss every child, woman, a man, no matter where you stand. Ancestors in the land, so why I pay respect. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55 a.m. That was Ancestors by Dreaming Now featuring Kian, who's playing tonight, 16th of May, at Noisy Ritual. And before we jump into a pre-record with Niviat Cornelius and Young Queer Greenlandic writer, I actually just have the pleasure of, <laughs> for the first time, um, introducing our new co-presenter and producer on Thursday Breakfast, Carly. Do you want to intro yourself for listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So I am very new to Melbourne, so thank you so much to Em and the Thursday Breakfast team for having me on. Um, so I'm a Wangi woman, um, also have Chinese ancestry, so my family's from North Queensland. Um, most of my family still live in Mount Isa and Townsville. Um, but I grew up in Minjin, Brisbane. Um, so, yeah, also really blessed to be um, down here now. Um, on the Coolant lands. Um, yeah. And I feel like overflowing with excitement that you're part of the team now. Like, it's actually <laughs> just the best. Like, I'm so stoked. Yeah. I'm really excited to be here too. Thanks, Em. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Up next, we're going to hear um, an interview that I did um, with Niviat Cornelius and Young Queer Greenlandic writer who was here for the Sydney Writers Festival. Um, I was also joined in the interview by writer um, Vincent Silk as well, who also asked a few questions in the interview. Thank you so much for chatting with us today, Niviak. To start with, would you just be able to introduce yourself for listeners? My name is Niviak Kaniyusen. I'm a writer from Greenland. Um, I published my book, Homo Sapien, which is the original title in Greenlandic and Danish um, in 2014. Um, the English version, uh, the English title is Crimson and Last Night, New- Last Night in Nuuk, which is our capital city in Greenland. Um, it's a book about some queer people, characters um, based in Nuuk. Uh, and it's basically about being young and, and queer in, in Greenland. Um, and I think it's not only about being a Greenland, it's like the whole issue about identity, about national identity, about sexual identity. So all these people, um, which are like extremely different from each other, um, the main thing they have in common is that they don't feel they belong uh, in, their, in the society they're, um, they're placed in. So all of them are like trying to figure out um, how do I 
how do I live this life, um, who am I, and uh, all these uh, very interesting connections between the characters about human relations, you know, and uh, about sex, partying, all of that stuff. So there's a lot of things happening um, in the book, but I think, yeah, the main theme is um, identity, and I think that's very universal. And I think that's the reason why it's such a success in so many different countries in the world. And when I read it, I I guess I really get a sense of urgency or something. Like it really feels like it's a book that like needed to be written or that there was like a real compulsion to write it. What, in a sense, like what drove you to, to write it or what made you feel like you needed to write this book? Well, at that time or even today, uh, it's actually, my, my novel is the only queer book from Greenland, so it's the first one. Uh, maybe there has been some short stories about queer uh, people, but it wasn't like the main theme, uh, so it's the first one. Uh, and I, when I began writing it, it, I didn't like say to myself, I'm going to write a queer book, I'm going to fight for the cause, because... It wasn't really a big issue to me. Like I, I don't know. Um, so when I began writing it, I just wrote a book I would have wanted to read when I was a teenager myself, because I grew up in a very small, secluded city in South Greenland, um, where there were no um, out of the closet gay people, queer people, anywhere, um, and we didn't really have access to the internet. So I didn't really know what it meant to be gay, uh, what it meant to be queer. Um, so I wrote a book that I would have wanted, wanted to read when I was a teenager and which I think uh, has meant a lot to queer people in Greenland today because like, when I grew up I, wrote, uh, I read stories about like, an Amer- American white uh, heterosexual girl um, because like, that's, that was the only kind of literature we had access to like, huge uh, bestsellers and stuff like that and I couldn't see myself in it so I I thought to myself it's very important for me to to write to myself to maybe a younger version of myself and um, so that's why I decided to to write that. Anyway I'm interested in you the way that you talk about the things that you were reading because you also have spoken about how a lot of Greenlandic literature is like by very old nearly dead men um and obviously your book is not that (laughs) and and it's been really praised for like capturing some sort of essence of your generation and our generation um do you feel like as you get older what you're writing about has changed now it's not towards such a youthful audience I remember the day I decided to only write about indigenous uh, women, um, mostly women, of course. I went to um, the biggest writing school in Copenhagen uh, a couple of years back uh, when I first published my book, and the teacher there, uh, a Danish lady, asked me, um, is that the only thing you're ever going to write about? Because if you are, you're not a real writer because you're only writing autobiography but that that wasn't even like I don't even know my character I, I haven't experienced any of the things uh, my characters like specifically have experienced of, of course the feelings we all human mm-hmm. we have feelings 
Um, and that was the day I decided that that was the only thing I'm ever going to write about. And um, so even though my next book is about suicide, about like about death and how we uh, like kind of our death culture, which is very extremely different from my first book, um, because my first book is like cheerful and like there's a lot of sex and a lot of partying and a lot of having fun and stuff like that and very young people as well. Uh, but my next character is also young, also indigenous, um, also a woman, uh, but different themes, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and I really think that my writing has become, I don't even know what that means because I'm, I'm still struggling, uh, not struggling, I'm just still trying to figure out what it means for me to write. Um, I don't consider myself as a, like an extreme advanced writer because I I haven't had access to literature. I don't know what it means to like like specific phrases or so I had to like educate myself. Um, so that's what I'm trying to figure out still. Um, and then when I'm done with this next novel, which is very different because I only have one main character, uh, I'm gonna figure out what I'm gonna do next um, and just yeah find out what I'm like what's making me comfortable you know um, so definitely my writing is uh, still of course very direct because that's just the way my language is um, that's where I speak to people I like um, I, I don't like using sarcasm for example we don't use that in Greenland um, and um, so it's very direct it's very pure I don't know how you explain it um, and uh, non-filtered you know um, so that's the language I'm going to use in the next one because I don't really know what else to use when I wrote the book I, I wrote it in in three weeks um, but I had my characters in my mind for a couple of months. Um, I spilled it out, like yeah. I, I puked it out, kind of. Um, maybe some some stories or some words I've been wanted to say for so many years. Um, so they just they poured out of me uh, in in three weeks, and it was like one of the most chaotic and most exciting periods of my my life. You know, you were talking before around the way that. I don't know, the way that your characters get sort of stereotyped or the way people see them really reductively as being like, you know, this is just, you're just doing this like single thing over and over again. And I was thinking about that in relation to also how you often get talked about in mainstream media as, you know, this like young, queer, indigenous rising star, you know, the only one, you know, it's this real like, you are the only one. And it really sort of doesn't acknowledge the, any sense of like community or context or collectivity or something like that. It really just singles you out as this like representative to speak on behalf of all young Greenlandic queer people or something like that. I was just wondering, yeah, how how that feels. There is some truth to it. You mm -hmm. know, I'm the first um, writer that's so young and mm -hmm. become an international bestseller. Like, uh, yeah, there is some truth to it. But to be honest, I. We talked about it earlier that I hate being put in a box. For example, in Greenland, I am the queer writer, or the only writer. Um, in Denmark, I'm the queer Greenlandic writer. And in another country, I'm the queer Greenlandic angry writer. So there's like so many boxes that I have like, and people asking me, okay, you're such an inspiration, and I'd like to meet all of the young people in, in, in Greenland because, yeah, but 
I always say to them, I'm not speaking on behalf of every young person in Greenland. Uh, I really have to make like point that out because it's um it's a bit frustrating as well when uh, there's a lot of pressure. At the same time, I feel lucky to be the one um, kind of representing Greenland because um, if it was uh, maybe like a Danish writer who who's mm-hmm. only been in Greenland for a couple of years and he's telling a story there we have so many of them um, he's telling a story about like uh, the uh, social issues the social problems we have and so I, I'd like to be the one being a Greenlander and having grown up in in Greenland I I feel lucky to be the one to tell the my my truth, um, which I believe is much um, truther than a Danish man's uh, story. Mm. I'm thinking a lot about um, what you said about the linguistics of, like your native language, and how you feel about that work being translated into English and if there's anything it loses or if there's anything that is, you know, unexplainable that um, is no longer present in the book because it's now, like, that I would read it because I would be reading it in English? Of course, I would really much prefer that you read it in Greenlanding. But, yeah, I think that's going to be difficult. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But the thing that I'm very satisfied about is that I was the one rewriting it in Danish, uh, which is a whole different language, which is very much similar to the English language. So, um, because I was the one rewriting it in in Danish, I chose what to include and what I could, like, leave out. Um, There wasn't, like, many things I left out. Um, It was more like the poetic playing around with words part. I left out because in, in Greenland I, I can play around with, for example, the names of the characters. Um, for example, uh, Inuk, which means human in Greenlandic, which is also a name. Annak, uh, which means woman in Greenlandic, which is also a name. Um, so I played a lot with that, um, which I really like. I couldn't do it the same way in the Danish version, um, but I felt um, I felt it was okay because the main um, thing I, I thought was the most important thing was to um, how do you maintain the, the energy, the, the spirits of these characters um, the way they talk to each other, the way they see themselves and the way they behave, so that was much more important to me of course in the English version I remember when we were editing it that like it felt to me a bit of a different world but at the same time I recognize my characters which is the most important thing and I, I, I really do think it's a, it's a really complicated thing to translate you know especially from a country uh, that is so foreign to to the rest of the world like it's the Arctic it's extremely exotic nobody knows about anything about Greenlanders and uh, so I think if you get the essence out it's it's good so you're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. It is exactly 7.30 and I, you're listening to an interview I did with Niviat Cornelius and we caught up at the Sydney Writers' Festival a few weeks back to chat about her new book, Crimson. 
and we've got about 10 minutes left of this interview. And speaking of like language and translation, the other thing that really blew my mind when we were chatting before was what you were saying about pronouns and the way there are these shifts in the way that gender and sexuality of the characters is represented by very nature of you know having to shift the narrative into different languages. Can you speak a bit about that? Yeah, the fact that it, we don't have pronouns in, in Greenlandic, um, and um, or like when you um, compare it to the French language, for example, it's like so different because everything in French has gender, and um, I never thought of it before. I was to translate it into Danish. Um, I never thought that we have no gender in our language. Um, we, of course, we say woman, man, girl, boy, and stuff like that. Um, but we don't have like she, he, there. Um, so I noticed in the first couple of pages uh, while I was um, rewriting it in Danish was that I had a huge problem because in my first chapter there was no gender at all. It was really interesting to me because like growing up um, thinking that gender is so important, not not important, but how do you say, that you should be able to define your own gender, um, but at the same time you don't have that in our language. It's like when you when we speak to each other in Greenlandic, there's no gender at all. And uh, we just and I think that's kind of beautiful actually because you look at a person as a person as a like unity as a human uh, instead of like a gender, uh, which I think is very liberating somehow. I, I think it's important that a human being is able to define herself or himself or how do you say I'm so new to this their selves in Greenland there's. We have a strong connection to nature, and uh, before we were colonized, actually, we were like uh, very sexually fluid, and there are stories about gay uh, people, queer people. So, sex and and love was like extremely natural and so unlimited, which I think uh, is extremely beautiful, and we're seeing it right now again in Greenlandic um, society. I guess that is what I always wonder when I read a translation of something. Yeah, what I inherently lose because that language I speak is the language of rigid patriarchal bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like when I was reading um, a text from my book earlier this day, uh, and she read the same part in I, I read it in Greenlandic, and uh, my mod- my interviewer read it in in English and it was actually the first time I heard it in English and I was like there's no mm, maybe you could hear uh, no you you weren't a part of the no but like in the Greenlandic version it's like uh, very poetic it's like the same words over and over again um, but in the English version it felt like oh, but, but, like it felt like it was so rough kind of yeah. Um, but yeah it's it's okay. It's okay. I I rather get it out, um, mm. you know, and uh, I can just say that I realized that Greenlandic, the Greenlandic language is like the most beautiful language on earth. Like in comparison to the English version, it's like the like English uh, language or the German, <laughs> the Danish. Oh my God, the Danish is awful. I'm sorry. I'm not sure what I'm, where I'm getting at. <laughs> No, I just wrap up and wrap up and say that uh, I think 
because we're getting back in, in Greenland bef- uh, after uh, becoming a like self-governed um, country. Uh, we're still a part of Denmark. Um, but like 300 years after we've been colonized, it's slowly um, in the society getting back to our old roots. Um, and uh, like people are getting Inuit tattoos, which were like totally banned when Christianity came. And uh, people are much more spiritual. Um, we believe in nature and spirits. Uh, that everything has a spirit, like uh, you have to respect the nature um, if you're gonna get some food. So every animal you kill is like, thank you. Uh, and then they like sacrifice some things to let the spirit go. It's very beautiful. It's like a, this whole identity issue. Uh, when are you a Greenlander? Is it when you speak Greenlandic? Is it when you look Greenlandic? So what it what does it mean if you speak Greenlandic and you're blonde and you have blue eyes um, and all of these things uh, that are so interesting to me so all of this um, uh, queer identity and national identity is uh, is something like very hectic uh, discussion these days and and I think a lot of things are going to change in the next like 20 years I think it's going to be a whole different Greenland um, I'm gonna walk into uh, in 20 years, which is very like that's what it makes it so important to write books, you know, uh, to tell um, the future Greenlanders that this is we have been here and uh, this is history. We we have to write it down. We have to tell stories. We have to tell our story, you know. And just to wrap up, I wanted to ask one last question about what's on the horizon. You mentioned before that you are working on a new book that focuses on suicide. And, you know, here around so-called Australia, suicide, like of young people, is also a huge, huge issue, particularly for young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and for young queer and trans people who are dying by suicide, you know, at, like, out-of-this-world rates. Could you talk a bit about this, yeah, upcoming book and, again, what sort of drove you to move in this different but obviously so related direction? I think in Greenland um, it's still a huge taboo. Um, We've had this problem for so many years uh, and the rates aren't um, lowering, how you you say. Um, And and I think the main uh, problem in Greenland is uh, the system. Uh, the system is killing young people, and uh, of course you can trace it back to uh, the time we were colonized and uh, industrialized, and people were, like removed from their homes. So a lot of alcoholism was like um, a huge problem um, for many years, and there are some like huge changes in like only 20 years. Like in other countries, it might have happened through like 200 years. In, in Greenland, it happened through like in 20 years, so um, that caused a lot of problems, and um, it's been like transferred into the next generation. So people, a lot of young people, um, commit suicide. And for example, it, probably everyone uh, in Greenland know about um, somebody who has committed suicide. I know um, so many; I, I can't even count. We're afraid to talk about it. Um, uh, you get blamed as as soon as you open your mouth because you're hurting people uh, and I think um, that has been a major issue for me because I don't want to hurt people you know I don't want to like blame 
families for like having a kid that has committed suicide. Um, so I held back my writing for many years and I didn't really know how to, to write it. Um, but then uh, I came to a realization that it's it's just a system I'm criticizing. And the system is like totally just abandoning these young people and we can't really get help and you're just like a number in the system. And when I wrote my first book, it was important to me to write about because I needed that book uh, when I was a teenager um, and it happens to help a lot of green-lighted people and I, th I really do believe it's going to do the same thing uh, with the suicide issue uh, that people um, hopefully won't feel alone anymore and um, they know it's okay to talk about these things it's it sounds really important and it sounds like similar to your other work that it there's like a real pull and a, a real pull for you towards like collectivity and um, speaking about things so that other people can also speak about them. So that's really amazing. Yeah. I don't consider myself an activist or anything like that. It's just, yeah, we have to write things about that affects us somehow, you know, or else it's not, it's not important. You've just been listening to M speak with Niviat Cornelison, um, who took part in the Sydney Writers' Festival in 2019. Now we're going to turn to a track, uh, The Marindas, who will be uh, singing We Sing Until Sunrise. Um, and tomorrow night they'll be playing at the Living Pavilion at Melbourne Uni, so go and check them out if you have time.
You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 8.55am. That was We Sing Until Sunrise by the Marindas. And we'll just play a couple of announcements and we'll be back with an interview in just a moment. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. We Need to Pay the Rent is a fundraiser for warriors of the Aboriginal resistance featuring the Pretty Littles, Worst Nurse, Ute Root, No Sister, Face Face and a heap more. Come join us on Kulin Nation land to give back. It's well overdue. We need to pay the rent. Saturday, May the 18th at the Tote from 4pm. Tickets $20. Available from the Tote website, thetotehotel.com. Free or discounted tickets for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Contact organisers online to arrange. A 3CR supporter. In December 2017, Tanya Day, proud Yorta Yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community, was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-Line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine Police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody. This would never have happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Tanya Day's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR Reception, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser. Good morning. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. It is 7.47 and you're in the studio with Carly and M. Uh, now we're going to be talking to Siavash Stutzka. Um, he's from the Youth Affairs Network, Queensland. Good morning, Siavash. Good morning, Carly. Uh, so first up for listeners, could you just tell us a little bit about what the Youth Affairs Network, Queensland, do? Um, 
We're known as the pitch body for the youth sector in Queensland. So we have some 600 members of individuals or organisations from across Queensland um, who work with young people in various capacities. And we represent them at policy advocacy level and um, support them in their professional development and uh, basically, yeah, a network of um, individuals and organisations that... um, trying to advance the rights of young people, we represent them at uh, policy advocacy. Excellent. So on Monday night, Four Corners aired another shocking episode on youth incarceration. Four Corners obtained more than 500 files detailing cases of children who have spent time in Queensland watch houses. 52 files refer to children aged 14 or under. Four Corners stated that children as young as 10 are being held in watch houses. So, Siavash, how long has this been happening and what are organisations like Yank calling on the Queensland Government to do about this situation? Well, this has been going on for a long time and um, whether, I mean, it's in the police watchhouses or youth prisons, uh, they're not much better. I mean, some of the, a lot of the talk in recent days is that uh, we just got to get them out there and uh, put them in youth detention or youth prisons. Uh, you know, the same hellhole as the police watch house. Um, you know, it just shouldn't be happening. Children shouldn't be put in any cage or any lock-up whatsoever. Absolutely. Talking about very uh, young children. And um, there, there's two issues. One is that uh, age of these young people, which we're talking about as low as 10. And um, the other thing is that uh, majority of these children, both in police watchhouse and in the youth prisons, are on remand. So they haven't actually been convicted of any crime. And majority of them being slotted in there because um, they don't have a safe address or um, somebody to, that the magistrates can actually um, bail them to. Mm. And there was one story that was particularly shocking, and um, I think some of the images that were used um, in the Four Corners report were very similar to um, the images that were coming out of uh, what Four Corners aired about the Don Dale prison. Um, there was one story where a girl spent nine days alone in an observation cell at the Brisbane Watch House, and she was dressed in a suicide smock. Um, so how common is it for young people to be wearing uh, these suicide smocks? Oh, I mean, this is um, what they call them for their own protection, and uh, um, it's, um, there's been regular reports of that coming out. So, and um, these are some of the, I mean, the images as disturbing as they were are some of the least um, disturbing images if you compare it with the stories that we um, hear from young people themselves. But this was, in many ways, the Four Corners program tried to show. Um, police being very kind and rosy and being really caring about these young people uh, most of the uh, episodes but um, the reality is um, they actually um, are very brutal towards these children and um, basically um, brutalize them um, whether it's um, before they put them in the slot after that or in the transferring them yeah and that four corners report was just absolutely shocking and uh, very recently Premier Palaget in Queensland said that the government will spend more than $320 million expanding, building and staffing new youth detention centres, as well as a range of initiatives across the whole sector aimed at reducing reoffending. And centrepieces of the strategy include the construction of a new 32-bed youth detention centre at Wacol, Brisbane, and the Queensland government also planned to build another 16 more beds at the existing Brisbane Youth Detention Centre. Um, Siavash, what do you think about these recent announcements from the Queensland government? Um, to 
be honest, the majority of it is quite terrible. Um, there's a small amount of money out of that uh, whole package that's going towards um, supporting young people, and even that is not um, quite into the prevention area. It's um, intervention, so there's some... Uh, 30 Aboriginal um, youth workers, they're saying that they're going to employ in the family centres across um, one worker in each centre um, to support engaging young people with, and supporting their families, which is going to be like you know, an impossible task for one worker in this context. And, um, but at least that bit of it is the only welcome bet. Some of those um, money, small amount of that whole package that went towards uh, some strategies like that. But... Uh, the majority of it um, is going towards the um, hard infrastructure and then obviously uh, the ongoing cost of the managing youth prisons. And um, they're just a terrible waste of money and um, resources. Um, the, this um, 300 and something million that was announced, this is on in addition to some 200 something million that was spent last year. It takes the whole package um, in the last couple of years to over half a billion dollars um, that they're putting um, to where we know that um, this is going to just be a, basically a pipeline we're creating to getting these young children into a life of adult crime and into the adult prisons. Um, the evidence is there. Um, the government knows it. But unfortunately, they're just panicking because the opposition constantly and the Murdoch press uh, paints them as um, soft on crime. And so they're basically trying to show a bit of hairy chestnuts, I guess, and um, saying, no, they can be as brutal as you guys and as stupid in that way as well because um, the evidence is there. So we, it's a two-pronged um, poking of our, ourselves in the eye with a hot metal bar, if you use that analogy, because on one hand, they're wasting millions and millions of dollars. So there's, there's like, you know, hundreds of millions for construction, but there's tens of millions of them uh, ongoing cost of managing these youth detention centers. So in terms of tax money, it's an absolute um, horrendous amount of um, drain on the tax revenue. And the other hand is that the evidence is there that it is actually going to make our communities less safe. Yeah. These are just going to be like, you know, training young people in terms of becoming more sophisticated in crime and also making them angry so that they actually have motivation to actually come out there and become violent criminals. So we are basically spending hundreds of millions of dollars to manufacturing our children into hardened criminals as opposed to spending a fraction of that cost and looking at um, at the issues in within a social health context and trying to put the support structure around those children um, and young people and then transferring their lives so they can actually become um, productive members of our society. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Siavash, how can our listeners um, follow the work that Youth Affairs Network Queensland are doing? Um, um, either can um, to follow us, you can either um, become a member. Um, so uh, membership for individuals is free. You basically have to just um, read, have a read of our values to see whether you agree with our values. We're um, for the outspoken organisation. We stand up for the rights and we um, don't budge. And that's why um, we were defunded some seven years ago by originally by the Conservative LNP government. And since the Labour government has been in office for the last two terms, they refused to fund us as well. 
So basically, they don't want uh, the young people to have a voice. And so, but um, there are a bunch of committed people that, although our resources have been shrunk and we can't do the work that we used to be able to do when there was funding, um, we continue to um, raise the issues and still maintain a connection and represent um, our members and, in a broader sense, um, the young people who are um, marginalized and they have become voiceless. So our website is, um, or if you search Yank, Y-A-N-Q, you will basically probably find our website. It's um, www.yanq.org.au. And also um, we've got Facebook um, and Twitter. Also, if you search for um, Yank, you'll be able to get them and um, you'll be up to date with you send that newsletters through the, um, if you go to our website, there's a way of subscribing to our newsletter or if you follow our um, Twitter feed or Facebook um, posts, um, then um, you'll be able to be up to date with uh, the work that we do. Excellent. Thanks for that, Siavash. So you welcome. Yeah, thank you for joining us this morning on 3CR. Uh, you're here in the studio with M and Carly. Now we'll go to some more announcements. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Guatemala. I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. It's almost 8 o'clock and up next we're going to be listening to Dinner One by Mitch Tambo. Do you know what I'm gonna do? Do you know what I'm gonna do? 
You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. It is just past 8 o'clock and we're really lucky to be joined in the studio by Hugh Childers, one of the co-editors of Unmagazine. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. So maybe just to kick off, can you tell us a bit about Unmagazine and about the issue that's launching tomorrow night? Sure. Um, Unmagazine has been in operation for almost over a decade. Um, they switch up editors every year. Uh, past year was uh, Nika Lehman and Maddie Clark. So my co-editor and I had pretty important shoes to fill, I think. Um, so this will be the first issue, which is launching <coughs> tomorrow at 6 p.m. Uh, in the basement of Abbotsford Convent in a gallery called C3. Yeah. And is it... Because, I mean, I often think of um, Un Magazine as being an art magazine or sort of focus on art would you yeah. say is that still true well for me it's true mm. i'm an artist like everything that i do maybe fundamentally has to do with art um but babak my co-editor and i decided to approach it from maybe an experiment which is kind of built on some ideas by cornell west where he sort of wants to approach history radically um And this idea of approaching sort of the complex confluence of human bodies and traditions in a candid way. yeah. Um, So we're looking toward the event of the collapse of the Twin Towers as a situation from which to talk about aesthetics. Yeah, amazing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that theme and why you chose it or how you got there? Well, we're not really sure, which is kind of why I like it. Uh... What we do know is that the following issue is going to be about uh, Melbourne University. So we're interested in what happens when you put together the Twin Towers and the University of Melbourne. What happens when you put those two things together? And right now we're actually, we're also joined in the studio by the other co-editor, Babak. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're so glad you could make it. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, 
do you maybe want to share a little bit about um, what what's exciting for you about being co-editor of Un Magazine? Mm. Well, I think one of the things we talk about um, in this discourse of terrorism and our interest in editing a magazine that maybe interrogates it critically is um, is how common it is um, for us to um, for us to see and identify and, and consume media and language surrounding terrorism that's actually state-defined and state-defined about certain uh, subjects who are marginalised, um, who are immigrant, who are brown and black, um, um, who are criminalised and, and, and surveilled excessively in our society. And these are kind of like common tropes and common exercises of the state apparatus that um, we've just kind of become used to in 2019. And so I guess for me it's it's interesting it's been interesting editing um 13.1 on Twin Towers and the War on Terror um and the ethics uh, the aesthetics that surrounding it because I feel like it represents a really interesting movement and a turn in actually um Muslim people um and people of color actually reclaiming some of the discourse around how our bodies are co-opted um and inscribed in popular culture it's really interesting to hear you say that because I think when I first read that the theme of this issue was Twin Towers or 9-11, I was like, oh, well, that seems like an, an interesting choice given, you know, there's so much happening at the moment or, you know, that this that's an event that's been talked about a lot. Mm. You know, it's like, how are you going to be talking about that in a new way or why are we harking back to this thing? But what you sort of seem to be saying is that you feel like that's some sort of pivotal moment or like that there was a shift and it is important to keep going back to that because it continues to obviously have huge impacts, hey? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's you're exactly right. We, we like to use, um, like, the word ongoing to accompany the war on terror because I think that's one of the scarier things. And if you look back to the history... Um, the cleanest wars are the ones that have beginnings and ends, and those are the ones that we could that we have manpower surrounding. We have we have military, you know, um, deployed. But I think the way the like the actual um, um, the way war looks today um, in a militarized world, in a, in a world where like state powers aren't the only ones participating in wars, um, with the war on drugs or the war on terror, it becomes more nefarious because it is more nebulous because it's not um, between any two. Um, particular um, temporal act like points. It's not happening between 1940 and 19 whatever. Um, it's happening. On, it's happening continuing. And um, and by, by by that I mean the way that the state intens- intensifies its kind of um, its surveillance powers um, and its police powers. Um, is, is exponential. It has no end date, but it continues to rest on this foundation and this explanatory logic of, of terrorist threat um, and of um, like a kind of boogeyman or an, an other, um, which has constantly changed in history um, and is still constantly changing um, to match new, um, but also pretty old and, and deep-seated um, enemies to the state and enemies to, to, to our civil liberties or whatever. Mm. And you mentioned just then um, the state's surveillance and policing powers and how these are founded on these, you know, colonial, xenophobic, racist discourses. I was wondering, can we talk a bit about the hares and hyenas raid that happened on the weekend? Mm -hmm. Sure. A bit of a change of topic from the Launch You magazine, but it actually seems to tie in a lot with what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe just, yeah, do you have any 
thoughts around, I guess, how the police brutality that was demonstrated in the raid on the Hares and Hyenas queer bookstore on Johnson Street, actually right around the corner from 3CR, does that for you link in with any of the things that you're trying to address in this magazine of UN? I have maybe some thoughts. Um, Even with the term police brutality, I think it's becoming really hollow and it betrays our position because it implies that any policing could be anything other than brutal. Um, I'm cautious about the... uh, focusing perhaps on truly sort of exceptional circumstances. And we're maybe more interested in the banal, like the traffic stop is maybe more important, and I think that we approach it similarly in the magazine, violence like unseen. I mean, I think uh, it's a great example exactly of an extreme, Um, and I think some of the... um, some of the visibility um, and media that this event has uh, received is has, has Vic Pohl like squirming, um, not because Vic Pohl have made a giant error, but because um, you know quite common everyday um, occurrences have have suddenly just like hit the media spotlight. Um, but I think it is it's it's unusual only in the sense that it's perhaps targeting it it taps into both like a, a homophobic and a racist strain you know it's like simultaneously um, with its motive of of looking for a Lebanese gang and also I think in the case of um, of Nick who is a Greek Australian um, I think that this is one of these conversations that we were talking about recently about whether um, proximity to Islam um, is actually, it, like, with appearance and with um, kind of the community that one surrounds oneself to, it too can or does become um, a sense of endangerment when Muslim communities are targeted. And this is true of any other um, racial or targeted ethnic group too. But it's like, um, in a sense that he looked Middle Eastern because of his Greek appearance, um, that sense that he um, was targeted and, and brutalised um, I think that's interesting, and I think that the ensuing um, and spontaneous decision by Vic Paul to have a, a day um, this Friday for Ida Hobbit to kind of like uh, measure it, to, to rectify its public image is very telling, um, and I uh, would almost like to be a fly on the wall there to see how they try to um, like figure that out for themselves, but also you couldn't pay me enough. <laughs> And I think, yeah, just what you were saying before about, you know, with the with the raid at Hez and Hyenas, it's like there's nothing about that that was exceptional. It wasn't a police stuff up. It's just it's actually just normal policing, mm. normal racialized policing that happens every single day in a colonial carceral state. Um, and, you know, it's, on the one hand, it's fabulous that there's like community backlash, but why doesn't that community backlash happen every time mm. someone experiences a police stop or every time, you know, someone experiences racial profiling. Mm-hmm. But we are we're going to have to wrap up in a couple of minutes. Can one of you tell us a little bit about the launch that's happening tomorrow night? Yeah. Uh, as I said before, the launch is happening at 6 p.m. tomorrow uh, in the basement of Abbotsford Convent in a gallery called C3. Uh, we're going to have music by a DJ and producer from Singapore called Night Dives. Uh, we're going to play two films by a group from the 90s called Union Gaucho Productions. Uh, and then some readings by some of our writers. And 
Babak, can you maybe share with us what yeah, what's on the horizon for the next issue of Un Magazine, or where are you excited about taking the magazine from here? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so 13.2, I think, as Thomas mentioned, is looks at Melbourne University. Um, and one of the things that I find really exciting about um, the the, the, the content of the magazine as it's currently shaking, shaping up is less so the, um, the articles and essays specifically affiliated with the University of Melbourne, but more so those that like critique the Melbourne model, um, and in doing so, even indirectly, look at um, alternative sites of learning. Um, and I think that's really interesting as we begin to slowly kind of grow bitter um, and resentful of how these institutions of learning and higher learning especially have failed us to be considering alternative models for pedagogy um, for how community can like seize the power for upskilling and and sharing knowledge within and for itself Um, I think that's a really radical um, kind of assertion and it's something that kind of pushes the, the language. So often I feel like when I'm like watching experts talking about structural change, they're always like, it's education, you know, the key is education. We have to like, you know, teach the kids how to do it differently or whatever, right? It's like this common trope of like when people are talking about radical futures. But I think actually pushing that conversation and that discourse a little deeper to consider like beyond traditional kind of like um, beginning, middle, tertiary education, how can we conceive of some way to um, facilitate long-term um, community knowledge sharing and growth? Yeah, amazing. And we would absolutely love to have you back in to chat about that later in the year when that comes out. Thank you both so much for joining us this morning. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, up, so we've been chatting with um, Babak and Hugh about their upcoming issue of Unmagazine 13.1 that's launching tomorrow night. Um, do check it out. And up next, we're going to listen to Sophie Grofie's new track, which was just released last week, Rolls-Royce. Um, a little bit of a language warning on this one. Shut the gun once and I got the tear drop In the clubs out here doing the pin drop All these niggas are out here for your gangsters uh. Sipping V like a G Now I got the energy to do my thing in the scene And the mosh pit nigga Pushing through the crowds cause my I'm strong I'ma make history like Neil I'm strong I'm the one, one of a kind so sweet Homie so pristine, so lit, lit it up Kerosene, adrenaline so hot Working so hot, you can call me a machine Fast pace, wanna see me, see me in the magazine Shake it like a tinder ring. Her beauty's so big, she make these niggas wanna sing. Slut, slow wine, rock off your back, baby. One time, and you heard me tryna come close. She declined, she said deadly like red wine. Her me couldn't score, they'd be bit of fresh lime. She said she wants designer, Dolce and Cabana, lavish lifestyle, but they're pretty nice girl. Her me took her to the store, and look around, she picked the bags, she picked the shoes, everything. Told the employer that they ready to pay. Her me looked at shoddy. Where your card at? You said you want designer. Here we are. If you can't afford a shoddy, don't expect a
and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1800 542 847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast. It's 18 past 8 at the moment, just before we listen to Sophie Grophy's new track, Rolls Royce, which was dropped last week. And just before that, we were chatting with Hugh and Babak, the co-editors of Unmagazine 13.1 that's launching tomorrow night. And now we're really lucky to be joined on the line by Creatrix Tiara, writer, performance artist, producer and activist. Good morning, Creatrix. Good morning. How's it going? Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, for sure. To Just to give listeners, I guess, who aren't aware of your amazing work, could you just give us a bit of an overview of some of the things that you're involved in and get up to? Oh, well, um, the most recent things I would be up to, I've just completed working with the Free Play Independent Games Festival as the volunteer manager. Um, I'm currently involved with Clippings, which is a queer disability arts collective here in Melbourne, and we're actually casting for our new show right now. Um, so look us up and join in if you're a queer disabled artist. Um, I've also created a show called Queer Lady Magician, which is about stage magic and social justice, and I'm generally involved with a lot of projects around town involving identity and community and liminality. Amazing. You, yeah. All your work is so incredible and also all your writing. I do encourage listeners to jump online and check it out as well. But so tomorrow is Ida Hobbit, which is the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Intersexism and Transphobia. Would you be able to share with us some of your thoughts and feelings on Ida Hobbit? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, it's, you know, uh, even though we live in 2019 and people think, oh, you know, we've solved homophobia now because marriage equality is a thing. Or we've solved transphobia because we have trans people in the media now, yay. It's not really the case. Like, even in somewhere supposedly as progressive as Australia, we still have to deal with 
homophobia and transphobia, and especially potent if you are a minority within this group, like if you are a person of color or a disabled person who also is LGBT in some way. And I think people tend to take for granted that, oh, you know, we're not in a place where you get jailed for being gay, oh, so we're fine. And, you know, I come from Malaysia, we're still very precarious to be queer or trans. But, you know, that doesn't mean we can just rest on our laurels and relax. It means we just have to keep on fighting for those who still deal with homophobia and transphobia and, you know, all sorts of bigotry for their identity, even if it's not necessarily as obvious anymore. And I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about the importance of, uh, you know, queer activism or organising not being single issue. Because, um, for example, like I really appreciated a lot of your commentary around the time of the marriage equality plebiscite in that I feel like you really sort of, you know, challenged a lot of the, you challenged the complacency of a lot of radical queers like myself, for example, who are maybe, you know, just like against, against the institution of marriage, against same-sex marriage for a whole bunch of reasons, or, you know, as in against, against the, um, the way the plebiscite sort of made that so central within LGBTIQ organising. And your, yeah, some of the things that you were saying around that, particularly around the blindness of the dominant LGBTIQ movement to issues that affect immigrants, migrants and refugees, for example, um, was so needed. What are your views on how the LGBTIQ movement can, yeah, I guess, avoid being single issue or often sort of falls back into that? Well, that's an interesting comparison that you made up because, yeah, my issue with the way the marriage equality place I was being discussed about was that the radical queer side often forgot that for a lot of people, especially migrants who often can only come to different places on a marriage visa, this uh, movement would be very powerful for them. But, you know, on the whole, I also generally agree that a lot of your rights shouldn't be hinged on your marital status. And it frustrates me that getting a marriage visa is easier than getting a visa for your own self. And, you know, in terms of not making queer activism single issue, I don't think it's possible to have it be single issue, really. Like, you know, intersectionality is a thing. People seem to forget that. But intersectionality is also not just about, oh, you have this and that identity. It's about intersecting oppressions and how they affect you. And there's no point in any sort of queer activism if you're not also going to think about what other people it affects and all the other intersections that it affects. And, you know, like with the marriage equality thing, like, sure, if you can either take the gay marriage is great option or the marriage is a archaic institution option. But there's so much nuance to it in a way it plays out, not just with migrants, but, you know, we're talking about uh, disabled people who still have issues with marriage because it might mean a it, their benefits are being cut or like with some states where trans people still have difficulty having recognized marriage because of it, you know? So I think the, the one best way to ensure it's not single issue is to recognize that it's never single issue. Every issue affects multiple groups in multiple different ways and they all have to be looked at. Absolutely. And 
a little bit of a change of attack, but not really. You know, we've got the federal election coming up in a couple of days. Um, and again, you've been, you know, doing some tweets around it and um, some commentary generally. Leading on from sort of what you were saying just then around, you know, that these things can never be single issue, is there anything that you'd like to share with listeners in advance of the federal election or um, in relation to our current dismal state of politics? Oh, wow, that's a big question. It's massive. I'm so um, sorry. This is fine. I mean, it's interesting for me because as a permanent resident, I can't vote. So there's only so much uh, I can do in terms of the election. Risk. But, you know, uh, the difficulty of being someone in Australia that can't vote is that a lot of the policies, especially around immigration, affect me and uh, people like me probably more than they affect people who vote. And... So when it comes to all these elections, I tend to have a much more vested interest in where parties stand in terms of the immigration policy. And what I found is that I did like a a list recently. I went through every party's uh, platform and just made a short comment about how where they stand in terms of policy with immigrants and refugees. And so many of them are terrible. But so many of those that are terrible are also the parties that, seem progressive on the surface and seem single issue on the surface because they throw immigrants under the bus and they often do that in ways that are really subtle. You know, for example, there's an affordable housing party, which you think will sound really good, but then one of their policies is, oh, you know, if you're not a citizen, you shouldn't buy a house because if you could just rent. And that, 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 and that ignores the sort of precarious economic position a lot of non-citizens have because of difficulty accessing central link or difficulty finding jobs and so on. Or like a lot of parties claim that immigrants are the reason uh, we have climate issues because, oh, they're overpopulating and that causes environmental issues, so we should stop immigration. And you, jo- you look at the party and think, oh, it's sustainable Australia, therefore they're pro-environment. It's like, no, 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 no. They're, they're using that as a shield for anti-immigrant sentiment. And that is a pattern I see over and over and over again, even with supposedly progressive parties. And, you know, that's just me looking at immigration as one axis. I'm sure on the other axis you see similar patterns. So I've said to people who are able to vote, uh, just look carefully at people's policies and also just compare and contrast policies. You know, they might, a lot of these people would say, oh, we're totally pro-immigrant. And then you see what their actual policy is, and actually it's not. It's not at all. So, yeah, just be careful of who you vote. Don't get swayed in to people's names. Read everyone's policies carefully because ultimately that's what, going to happen if you vote them. You're not voting them in based on the name. You're voting, you're, you're voting them in based on what they're actually going to do once they're in. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for that. And I have so many more questions I want to ask you, but we are running out of time. So just briefly, can you tell listeners, how can we find out more about your work and follow everything that you get up to? Um, I'm on Twitter as Creatrix Tiara, C-R-E-A-T-R-A-X-T-I-A-R-A. You can also visit my website at creatrixtiara.com and feel free to send, uh, drop me a line if you find me. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, Creatrix. Thanks for having me. So we were chatting with Creatrix Tiara about Ida Hobbit tomorrow and also the upcoming federal election. And we're about out of time. Um, 
What a great show, Em. I know, we did well. And thank you, Kelly, your first show (laughs) on air. Like, it's so great. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah, it's a beautiful, warm studio in here. I'm still definitely getting used to the weather down in Melbourne. (laughs) True. And... Yeah, just to give it, you know, for listeners who may be listening back today, we talked with um, Nibiak Corneliuson about a young queer Greenlander writer, about her first book, Crimson. We then chatted with... Siavash um, from the Youth Affairs Network Queensland about young people being locked up in Queensland police watch houses. We talked with Babak and Hugh just before in the studio about the launch of Unmagazine 13.1 at Abbotsford Convent tomorrow night. Get down there. And then lastly, we talked with Creatrix Tiara, um about Idle Hobbit. And that's all we have time for today, but stay tuned for Lost in Science. We'll be back next week and also Friday breakfast tomorrow. Have a great Thursday, everyone. Bye. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377.